Recently, I had one of the most profound conversations with one of my best friends, marriage and family therapist, Vienna Farron. We did a live webinar where we answered questions and we discussed dating and red flags and all the things with relationships. You might be familiar with Vienna because she is one of the first guests I ever had on the podcast. She is such an incredible teacher of and so good at putting language to the human experience and making relating make more sense, like giving practical ways of understanding our own experience and changing our relationship experience. And you also might know her because she has an incredible Instagram, which is Mindful MFT. So make sure you follow her there because as you're going to find out in this episode, she is such an incredible teacher. And so the webinar was so great that I wanted to share it as a podcast episode. So just to give you some context to the format and all the things. And before we get started, I need to make an ask, which is wherever you listen to this, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Make sure you give it a five-star review and a written review that is so helpful to get it into more people's ears. And if you love this episode or any others, please share that on socials and tag me. That's so appreciated. It helps get it in more people's ears so we can help change our relationships as a collective. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy, and ultimately asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say that's too hard to ask or it's too soon to ask that or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, The deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So without further ado, here is the live webinar with Vienna Farron from Mindful MFT. 
Hi, everyone. It's so good to be live. Yeah, it's been a while. You've been on maternity leave. I've been on maternity leave. I have not done any real work-related stuff in Mm. close to three months. Well, we're excited to have you. We're excited to be able to share your wisdom and knowledge with, well, these are both, both our, all our people are here. All our people here. And, you know, to give people some background, Vienna and I really, when we both started on Instagram, we've, the first stuff we ever did with other people was together. So it's nice to have a little little remake, rendezvous, reunion. We'll go with reunion. Reunion. That feels like the right thing. I know. Mark and I used to do all relationship stuff together in the beginning. Yeah. It's been a while and we're so excited to have this chat about all of the things dating and relating. Excited to be able to share this conversation with Vienna. And I don't know, I think like we should probably get into it. Don't you think? Let's do it. In the interest of time. I think so. So first off, first question, I'll read you fire first. How's that go? Okay. So So, yeah. yeah. So everyone here, just so you guys know, like the flow, we have five questions about that we're going to try to dive into. And then if there's some time left over, if you guys have any questions, pop it in to the chat and then we'll hopefully get to them. Yes. And we are. Okay. And use that raise your hand button if you're feeling what we're saying. Yeah, the raise hand. I like that. I forgot about that. It's like raising a roof, essentially. How it's done, Mark. (laughs) Okay. First question. Ready? Yeah. Ready. Let's do this. Ready. Why is it when someone stops texting back, I want them more? They didn't even write that, but that was me. Yeah. The person I am seeing was so fast to text back, text back initially, but our conversation is slowing me down, is slowing down. And it's making me anxious and even more keen to see them and hear from them. What is the right way to deal with this? Should I just stop texting or should I set a boundary that I expect a reply within a certain time? Ooh, dance on that minefield, if you wouldn't mind. Dance on that. Well, speaking of dancing, I imagine that a lot of people have heard of pursuer, distancer, dance, dynamic that we can often find ourselves in. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I hear this question, right? Like you have felt this person distance and it is activating something within you that makes you want to pursue, right? And so Mm -hmm. when we notice that somebody is becoming disinterested, they're checking out. There's more space in between the text messages as as is the case with this person. There's something that does get threatened internally for us, right? They're not interested. They don't want me. I'm not being chosen, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so especially for those of us who have been, yeah, like who have been given the message that the goal is to be chosen, is to be wanted, is to be desired. This can be a huge activation for those of us who resonate with that, right? Where we want to pursue because that is how we solidify and like protect our worth, right? And so I think it's easy to get into a game playing space. I don't recommend it, right? So the the thought, maybe I won't text them back is not something that I would recommend unless you're interested in having it fizzle out because usually what happens in that space is that, we don't text back and then we don't hear from that person and it's two weeks later. <laughs> and then we and then stop it's, texting yeah. each other. Right. Weird. And then it's done. The other thing that I wanted to note on is that when it's coming from an anxious space, 
expecting a reply within a certain amount of time, for example, is actually control. It's not really mm. a boundary, right? When it's coming from an anxious space, because in that space, it's not actually about the boundary. It's about relieving the self. Right. Right. And so yeah. I would also recommend instead of saying, you know, I expect to hear from you within, I don't know, within the day, right? Which maybe sounds reasonable and is reasonable. But if we say it from that, from a space of anxiety, and even if they wind up doing it, right? We are not actually trusting that they're doing it because it's generated from them, right? It might be just mm -hmm. generated from the fact that we've put this boundary in place and we're sort of requiring or demanding this from them, right? And so instead, and I know that this can be really confronting and hard to lean into, but instead, I think something like, hey, I notice that you've been stepping back for a while, right? Like just noticing that, is that true? I'm curious how you're feeling about the relationship and whether you're feeling the need to slow things down, right? So I, I like naming and being pretty direct in that space and just saying like, here's what I'm experiencing and let me know if that is consistent with what you're feeling or not. Yeah. I, I love what you said about needing, trying to control it. So I don't have anxiety rather than exploring the anxiety and where does it come from? And, right. you know, is this a pattern of mine that I want to self-abandon or I want to pursue? And also what you're saying, like just telling the truth. Like if you look at, there was a lot of eagerness, a lot of texting at the beginning, and now it feels like there's these large gaps in between time. It's like, are there other indicators that perhaps there's space or there mm -hmm. things aren't progressing? Because I think, you know, of course it makes sense. Like Kai and I don't text the same amount that we did when we first started dating. We also live together. So that really supports <laughs> not really have to text each other as much. But there was certainly a period in the relationship where we didn't text as much because there's that eagerness of getting to know each other. And then, you know, you don't have as many questions as you did. I think there's that, I remember that space though, of someone who's more prone to anxiety and pursuing being like, okay, if I loved me, would I send this text right now? Like if I felt like I was of high self-worth, would I send it? And sometimes the answer was like, no. And I was like, damn it. So I have to learn how to hold this. And learning how to hold it is, ooh, that's the practice, right? That's, that's the adulting. It's like a whole new phase. Yeah. I mean, I get the sense from this question that it's, that is pretty early on in the dynamic. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Like as we get into different stages of the relationship, like what is being asked of us or where is our expansion? You know, it, it might require something different from us. Mm -hmm. I think if this, if it's true that this is at the beginning, you know, in the first either a few weeks or a couple of months, you know, I, 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 it's not about sitting in your anxiety, right? Like it's not about like, let's see how long I can hang out in this space, right? I think that's why we say like having hard conversations gives us information, right? Even mm -hmm. if that information is really hard for us to swallow, even if it's information that we don't want to hear, but if you're sensing something, right? You want to tune into that. You want to honor that. You want to be able to bring it forward. And I think it's important to bring it forward in a way that is open-hearted, that, you know, whether that person responds to it or not, that we cannot control, but we can control how we bring it forward. And that's why, you know, I, I said those couple of sentences of like, here's what I'm noticing. Right. And tell me mm -hmm. if that's, that's true for you. Because I think what you're insinuating is that I want to continue on with right. this. And if that has changed for you, I would love, I would love to know that. 
And green flag that level of communication. You know, if someone was like, hey, I'm just experiencing like we used to have a little more communication and I'm noticing a little more space and just wanted to bring that forward. I mean, that is such a proactive. You're going to get a good relational foundation from that kind of communication, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's right. Because if a person can't engage in that sentence, right? It doesn't necessarily like red flag, red flag, red flag. But if a person can't engage in that that sentence, right? There is something there. We ought to be able to receive that from someone and say, you're right. I, I have been distancing or... Oh shoot, I didn't even realize I was distancing. No, this is not what that means. I actually want to continue on. Right. And so that's an invitation. And if a person doesn't want to take that as an invitation, then I do think that there is information there, right? Whether you name that as a red flag or not, um, right. but there is information there that we can tune into. I mean, I think we crushed that one. <laughs> that felt pretty good. Okay. That on felt to the good. next question. I heard, I saw somebody write in the chat box, like, how is this a talk on red flags? Like, we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jill, we're coming. We're coming. All right. Speaking of, question number two What are the red flags of narcissistic love bombing? I've met someone who I connected with so quickly and so deeply. But since learning about love bombing, I'm wary. How do you tell the difference between red flags of love bombing and actual chemistry? I know I am genuine when I say I'm, I am serious about our connection, but how do I know if they are? What you got, Mark? First off, love bombing is like deep dive real quick. You know, it's like yes. in a week or two, usually a week even, they're like dropping the L-bomb already, which is essentially like, I love you. I already have these feelings for you. I also think the other red flags that are often commonly associated with it are like rapid escalation of desire to define the relationship. Also going, buying big lavish gifts, big trips, those types of things where there's really, you don't have the ability to be present and on your feet because you're so carried away by the Disney story, you know? Yeah. It's like the distraction, right? Away from how, how am I actually feeling? What's actually happening for me? Am I interested in this person or not? Right? Like when it's so flooded, you gave such a great list, like the gifts and I love you sort of prematurely, you know, like the, I think the emphasis on how good you are together very quickly. And yeah, like you said, wanting to define the relationship, wanting to spend forever with a person ready to marry within, you know, a week or so. Right. So those are all things that we, we want to look out for. And yeah, I think recognizing it, that it is a distraction, right. It becomes the distraction away from we. How do I actually feel as I'm dating you? But sorry, yeah. go ahead. I jumped into your answer. No, no, it's all good. It's a collaboration. <laughs> it is. The, the idea too, like of what you said, we get distracted. And so then the, red, the other red flag there is that we're not, they're not being discerning mm-hmm. and we're not being discerning. Like neither of us is really present to, is this a good relational choice, you know? Right, And so in that is like, I'm so carried away by the emotion and the intensity of this that I'm not even like, is this person a good match? And then I also might not acknowledge that they're not a good match or things show up because we've just defined ourselves as soulmates. You know, we've just, oh, the worst one is defining each other as twin flames Mm -hmm. because the twin flame one will get everybody all revved up because then they're like, but they're my twin flame. They're like, yeah, but... They're highly destructive. 
Yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying because I think that when their narrative starts to intrude on your narrative, that's something really worth paying attention to, right? When you mm, lose track more of, about that. Yeah. yeah, like when you lose track of your own train of thought and, and how you're feeling and what's actually happening is I have now absorbed yours. Everything that you're saying to me, I'm like, oh, wait, is that, okay, I'm starting to say that to myself. Oh, they want to marry me. I guess maybe I want to marry that. You know, like when that becomes where we start to shift, right? Because I've seen this with so many clients before and it's such a big indicator, right? That narrative comes in, they press that narrative, they say it over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, I do really love, I, I love you and I, I want to be with you. And you're like, hold on, who overtook? <laughs> who overtook my body, right? Who overtook? Yeah. So I, I think that that's something worth tuning into is like, how do I really feel? You have to get away though, because a lot of times, what I mean by that is like, a lot of times they want to spend all every moment, hour, waking, you know, all of that where you don't get space for yourself or with friends or other people where you can bounce some of this off of to give you a different perspective, right? And so it's so important that if you're starting to notice these things, that you find space for yourself, that you do set that boundary and are not available every moment or every evening for a date so that you can actually tune into what's Mm -hmm. true for me, right? How am I actually feeling? Now, it is not fair to say that it's impossible for us to have this type of a chemistry right off the bat where you feel really drawn to a person, where you do want to see that person all the time. I wanted to see Connor every single day. (laughs) I wanted, you know, like I wanted to spend, you know, so much of my time with the person I was falling in love with and, you know, seeing a future with. Right. And so it, this, I, I know a lot of times people ask that question, like, how do you know the difference? Right. Like how, How can you know if it is this love bombing or if you actually just have a great connection with someone and the chemistry is really there? And I think it's with a bit of space, you know, if a person can honor like wanting to slow down, you know, where those boundaries are, if you can sort of, if you can almost talk about the experience that's happening, right? Yeah. Because because someone who's love bombing and if there's narcissism in there, it's not always the case, right? But if if that that is true, they don't want to be found out, right? So they're not going to want to take be able time, to talk about it, take it the time, put a little bit of separation, you know, spend time in the concerns, right? So mm. those are just some additional thoughts there. Yeah, that that desire, like if you say, hey, this pace just feels like it's going a little quick for me. Can we just take mm-hmm. it a little slower? that will likely trigger someone who's truly narcissistic, right? Like I I thought we had something here and then the gaslighting begins, you know, and I think, you know, someone was asking like, what about the differentiation between like, what are narcissistic traits and what is a true narcissist? Well, true narcissist, you certainly know when you're with one. And, you know, like sometimes what are avoidant tendencies can be coded by social media (laughs) as narcissism, which is like someone who doesn't want to talk about things, maybe isn't capable of true intimacy, you know? But I think like often if you're with a narcissist with this like massive love bombing, quick escalation, there usually is a discarding that occurs quickly thereafter and discarding being like no longer available, no longer wanting, no longer wanting anything, Mm. you know, and it feels very painful. So I think we got that. How do you tell the difference between love bombing bombing and actual chemistry? I think that's an interesting one because then we go, okay, well, 
if what you call chemistry is like, okay, but I have attraction to this person and I can't help who I'm attracted to. And we're like, but there's a choice between what you're drawn towards and what you choose. And if you're drawn towards people who are not good for you, then you might wonder, okay, well, is that chemistry or is that actually wounding? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if it is wounding or you're being drawn to people, it doesn't really matter how you define it. If you're being drawn towards people who wound you, then the invitation is to stop moving towards them. So curious what you think about that. In terms of like what the chemistry piece or just like how you would move away from something that you know is a pattern Yeah. Like what is, and I see the question, what is wounding? Okay. So wounding being like, I experienced as a kid that my parent wasn't available or I, and so I'm drawn to people who are unavailable. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, curious what you think about that chemistry. Like I'm drawn to people who are not good for me. Uh, Now I want to be attracted to people who are good for me. How do we sort of recode that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's vital to know, like you just said in that example, like what's, what is the wounding, right? Like what are some of the things that I might find myself recreating and playing out over and over and over again? And yeah, I mean, one of the best ways to look at that is to look at the, the history of your relationships. And if this, you know, if you haven't dated much, then you might get some practice here, right? But if you have dated a bit, then you might be able to tune into some of the patterns that you have seen, right? Now, I do a lot of family of origin work. That's sort of the heart of my of my work, understanding the systems in which we grew up, those relationships with our parents, caregivers, the adults in our lives, whoever that might've been, and seeing where that pain is, right? Where those pain points are, where that wounding is, right? Was I not a priority? Did I not feel important? You know, did I feel betrayed? Did I feel abandoned, right? And so if you can start to identify some of the things that maybe did show up previously, right? And start to see like, am I drawn into with to, to someone who it does not need to be apples to apples friends, right? But am I drawn to someone who where the feeling that I have mm-hmm. is familiar, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't, if I had an alcoholic pat parent, I don't necessarily have to be with an alcoholic partner, right? For it to be like, oh, there it is that I'm drawn in. But if I was, if I had an alcoholic parent, let's say who, where I never felt like the priority, maybe I'm dating someone who puts work first all of the time, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to really tune into what by going back and seeing where some of those wounds are, what it is that we might find ourselves drawn into. Knowing that gives us a lot of information when we start to choose people. So yeah, I'd start there. Let me pause and see if you want to add anything. Well, that that invitation to like assess, you know, is this my wounding or is this actual chemistry? What you're saying is like the emotional familiarity of a way we feel is often what we're sort of drawn like we're drawn to recreating it in a way. And then in the recreation is the invitation to heal. And so, mm-hmm. you know, some people are asking like, what's trauma bonding versus da, da, da. Like trauma bonding is also ultimately a match what our wounds are. Like mm-hmm. if one person is afraid people leave them and the other person's afraid people get too close, that's that anxious avoidance draw. There's this, it validates our view of the world, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, those are my thoughts on what you said. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's such tricky, nuanced stuff, 
right? Because it's like our invitation isn't to seek for, for the person who does not activate anything within you. We, we actually need activation in right. our relationships, right? For healing to happen. So <laughs> right. listen, relationships are complex and this stuff is tricky, right? And, and it's why, you know, we can probably only go so far in a webinar like this without actually talking specifically through something with a person. But I want to make sure that you're not leaving this conversation thinking like, okay, well then anybody who right. like has a moment of not prioritizing me is bad for me, right? No, right? The goal is that we are in a dynamic where we can both see ourselves and the other person. Right now, we're not going to be able to see all of ourselves and all of the other person. Right, that's that's impossible. Although we start to work in that direction when we have activation or there are triggers. Right, but I want to see myself and I want to see you. And then we stand. We always say shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, as we go. Like, oh, I'm triggered by this, or I'm activated by this. And then we have a partner who says, "Okay, I want to hear about that. Like, I want to understand what it is that just happened." Right. Yeah. So I know we're moving a little bit away from you know the original question around you know it's important though it's important in terms of like giving people some context and you know you're speaking to such an important aspect of this which is hope which is just because something occurred doesn't mean you can't change it just because you relate in a certain way doesn't mean you can't change it and that's the whole point you know of of all of this work is to be able Mm -hmm. to go from where you're at. And, and use dating and relating as a healing process. Cause someone said like, what do you mean by you need to be triggered to heal? Well, mm. what Vienna is saying is your stuff comes up so that you can deal with your stuff. And like, you can't just avoid, well, you can avoid relationships, but it won't make you better at relationships. It'll just make you not have any, you know? And this is about learning how to navigate them, how to get better at it, how to- The, the triggering is, is what le- leads us to a different outcome, right? Like- that's when we can be activated in a safe relationship, then we can move to a different outcome. Right. That's where our narratives get replaced, right? That's where we start to heal, right? So if we don't ever touch the wound, right, then there's no opportunity to shift it, right? To be with it, right? To touch it differently, right? And so we, you know, it's not like, let me go out and get triggered, you know, right, right. let me see who can <laughs> activate me as much as possible. That's, that's not it. But, but to expect, or hope that will never be activated isn't actually where the what the goal is or where our healing will be. So I, you know, I, that last part of that question, I am genuine when I say I'm serious about our connection, but how do I know if they are? Yeah, right. Because if I can't trust what you're saying, right, how do I know? So, you know, I, I think a couple of questions. Do you get the sense that they're trying to push the relationship forward by being in control of it? And I think, again, like you're having to tune into some of the things that we named before as possible red flags, right? Like, is this person just trying to control this system, right? Like, what are they, you know, I want to trust what they're saying. I want to trust what they're expressing, but can I tune into something a bit more granular? And so I think it's important, like, I know how I feel. I'm not sure how you feel. Maybe ask them, right? And see if it, you know, if you can trust you know, your feeling and and some of your intuition, you know, see what it's like to to listen to them. You know, what do they mm-hmm. offer? Is what they offer something that feels, you know, valid, true? Do they start to offer things that feel, you know, inappropriate or disproportionate to mm-hmm. where you are right now? Right. And so we have to tune into that space. 
So yeah, that's just one question maybe that we would, that we could sit with. To think of in that moment to trust too in the feeling, you know, like I might have a feeling, oh, I had a really great connection with that person. I feel like they're not really as eager or there's not, and I want to know where we are at. And Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways we avoid that specific question because we think that specific question, like, hey, I really am enjoying getting to know you. How are you feeling about it? Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, do you enjoy it? Like actually leaving this open opportunity for them to express and know that 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 question that we're afraid to ask is the very question that creates freedom and alignment. Like mm-hmm. all the conversations we don't want to have in dating generally are the conversations that lead to healthy and aligned relating. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I made that rhyme. That's how good that was. <laughs> That's how. So good. <laughs> Okay, right. we, I think we're I think we're ready yeah. for question three. Let's do it. I have a history of dating unavailable men. <laughs> As someone who has done a lot of work on myself, I often find men will open quickly open up when I meet them. And this initially leads to an exciting connection. But over time, they begin to pull away and show their avoidance side. This leads me to feeling panicked and really hurt that I invested so much and I'm getting burnt again. Why am I so drawn to avoidant men? How do I notice their avoidant attachment before I get invested? You ready to rock? Yeah. So it's about eight questions in one question. There's a lot in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just take care of it all, please. Let's do it. So, So the first thing that comes to mind is what about their avoidance serves something for you? Okay. That's such a good question. Everybody sit with that. Hear the echoes of that. (laughs) Hear the echoes of that. Yeah. Repeat right? that what, one. What about their avoidance serves something for you? Now, if you really hate this question, <laughs> especially spend time with it, right? Mm. So a couple of things for us to just gently explore here, right? Because I do know that that question can be a little confronting and we're like, it doesn't serve anything. I just want it to, you know, I don't, I don't want this at all. And yet when we find ourselves in repetition of something, right, we have to trust that it is serving something for us, right? So Yeah, explain what that means because I see people are like, what do you mean by serving me? Great, I'm going to get right into it. So the first thing that I want to ask is, is there any, you say, I have a history of dating unavailable men. Okay, so next question. Is there any part of you that is unavailable? Right, so just sit there for a moment, right? Because think this is a confronting question, especially if you really want to be in a relationship or you're really open to love, right? Up here, you're like, yes, I'm open to love in theory. It looks good. I have friends, couples who, who amazing. This is what I want for myself. And you feel, and it's so clear and obvious and true for you. Beautiful, right? And okay, there's a repetition here. So we want to tune into that. So what I want to know is what, don't, what am I associating to being in a relationship or love? Maybe what I'm not available to, right? Maybe it's not the relationship or love, but maybe what I'm not available to is vulnerability and intimacy, just as an example, right? And if vulnerability and intimacy is something that I believe has to happen if I am in relationship or if I am in love, right? But I'm not available to it then might I still find myself drawn to people who are not available to a relationship or to love, right? And what I mean by serving something for me is I'm not ready to be vulnerable. I'm not ready to be intimate, intimate, innermost with self and other, right? That's my definition mm-hmm. of it, right? So don't get lost in you know other things that it could mean, right? But just 
intimacy, going innermost with self and going innermost with other. If I don't want to do that, if I'm not ready to do that, if I'm not ready to share myself with, with a loving partner, right, then there is a part of me that actually is still unavailable. And so choosing unavailable people, right, even if up here you're like, I want to be in relationship, I want to be in love, choosing unavailable people still serves something. Right? It serves protecting you from having to go to a place that you're not ready to go to yet. Right? I don't know if that makes sense. It um, does. Yeah. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out like, oh, well, what happens if those examples don't? I, one question I think can be helpful is if we finish the sentence, when I let people love me, they, because it will really tell us the type of outcomes we're trying to avoid occurring. Mm-hmm. Or when I love people, I, you know, like mm-hmm. we can finish it in when I love people, I, when I love people, they, when I let people love me, they, they're all yeah. showing us outcomes that we ultimately avoid having through the relational partners we choose, through mm-hmm. through the ways we self-sabotage, through the, you know, all the, we have all the tricks. You yeah. know, and I can see a lot of people, they disappear, they abandon, they, yeah. you know, they leave. And so we might serve by dating people who are not good matches, who are unavailable, that we keep recreating the story. And we also never get that closeness that if we're too close, they might depart. And so I can manage this level of hurt, but we never really allow someone to really step into our hearts because maybe we don't trust ourselves in that space. Right. I mean, that's, it's so well said. And I think, yeah, I mean, I only gave the example of vulnerability and intimacy. Obviously that list can go on. And I think, you know, if we have fear of abandonment, I know a few folks had had written that and you had mentioned that before, right. Then like, I want to be available to relationships and love my fear of something, right. My fear of that thing happening over there is so scary that I have Mm -hmm. to, that I do shut something down, right. That I, that I, yeah, that I go for someone who actually isn't available so that I'm not hurt or harmed down the road, even though right now I'm really clear that I want this or I want that. A couple other things. A couple other. Take note. Yeah, (laughs) take note. The other thing, the other question, right? Is there any part of me that wants to be the one that moves this person from unavailable to available? So sit with that also, right? So I know a lot of folks Mark maybe doesn't like this one. I don't know. I can't tell the face. No, um, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh man, yeah. Did you ever so, do that? Did I do it? Kylie, hello. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Oh, We're I see. It, Chantal no. is my a fixer upper. Good, Chantal. Well, you're you're who I'm speaking to here because yeah. the next question is: Were you a fixer? Right? Was right. your worth dependent on your capacity to achieve? What does it say about you if you can get someone to change, right? So Mm. I have heard time and time again, right? Like I go for the person who's unavailable because if I can get them to change and if I can get them to be available and if I can get them to choose me and love me, then it validates me, right? I am Mm -hmm. better than all those people who came before who weren't able to change that person. Maybe we should get a raise of hands if that one's landing for folks. (laughs) Let's see. But it looks like in the chat, it it definitely is is resonating, right? And so, yeah, right? Like, again, we're tuning in, right? When we have these questions that stump us, right? Like, I'm available. I've done work on myself. I want to be in love. I want to be in relationship. And then all of a sudden, I'm not. And I... 
I keep dating unavailable people and yada, yada, you know, and all of this stuff. Like we have to tune in more friends. Right. And I said, gently, right. Like this isn't, (laughs) I'm not trying to call anybody out. Right. This is a gentle exploration and approach, right. To like really tune into what else is there. Yeah. I think there's a a third one, but I'll pause. Yeah. That compassionate space that you're inviting that says like, we do it because of something we've experienced in life that we learned, relational patterns that we observed, pain that we're trying to avoid. That's actually super healthy. Mm. To you know, repeating the patterns might not be healthy, but the, the avoiding pain, avoiding trauma, avoiding recreating something, but recognizing that we're living in this loop. Then we're not actually ever expanding beyond these upper limits that are created, yeah. and. You know, I think of how much we we both need to be able to be like grieving that and and holding that and maybe anger from that. And then at the same time, transforming that. So it's this, it's this combination of, you know, that saying that it's not our fault what happened, but it's our responsibility what we do with mm-hmm. what happened. And that speaks to what's so important relationally, which is to take responsibility for ourselves, our choices, what we call chemistry, our healing, because no one's going to come along and save us. And certainly us coming along and trying to save people hasn't worked, you know, and that Mm -hmm. idea of like, I'm going to go save this person. I'm going to get them to change. The healing of someone who's an addict is not saying, you know, it's not giving them more whatever their addiction is. It's saying, I love me enough to not participate in this, Mm -hmm. whatever's going on. Because I think the healing of the person who's trying to change people is to change self, is to sit with self. Because the addiction is the chasing, the pursuing, the trying to get people to be different, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think maybe the last thing that comes to mind, although yeah. we could probably jump on this for, for a while. Is there any part of you that believes that you will hurt another? Right? Is there any other? Is there any part of you that believes that you will betray another? Right. And what I find is that oftentimes when we hold that belief, right, I'm just going to hurt this person. And it might not be in our conscious minds. That's what's really important here. Right. Sometimes we don't even know it. Right. But a lot of times when we have a belief that I'm just going to cheat on you or I'm just going to disappoint you or I'm just going to let you down or something along those lines, right, then we can be drawn in again not consciously necessarily, but drawn into someone who is unavailable so that we don't even get there, right? right. It's like a self-protective mechanism, yeah? Right, right? we're like, like protecting other people, but really. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. I'm protecting you by choosing someone who's unavailable because I know that I'm just going to hurt you, right? If I don't trust myself, right, then, you know, if I don't trust myself, might I be drawn to someone who's unavailable? Something to sit with. I'd like to add, I'd like to add another layer to that one, (laughs) or maybe it's in the same layer, but, but I'm sure we're going to postulate and get there anyways, which is, as you say that, I think also about, like you were saying that is, do I want to not get close to this person because I might hurt them? And I saw someone say, when I left my marriage, my divorce, like divorcing my partner caused a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that we also recognize like sometimes we avoid closeness because choosing ourselves hurt people. And so we never want to be faced with choice of self, which really was my experience. Like when I ended my engagement, I hurt her, I hurt a lot of people and I was hurting staying in it. 
And so there was this first time that I ever chose myself and impacted other people's feelings, but I felt free. But then I couldn't get close to people after that because I didn't like the responsibility that came with closeness. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd speak to that like, as an adult, I recognize that that's part of adulting and being in relationship is like, that's part of compromise. That's part of being in relationship is like, there's going to be moments where a choice or a need being met for one or both people has an impact on the other person. But ultimately, like the difference between sacrifice and compromise is that compromise deepens trust and intimacy and and furthers a path together. And sacrifice in some way feels like you have to give something up, but you didn't gain anything. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think it's important, like for someone who's experienced divorce and caused that, that like, that's the other people's experience, you choosing yourself, but it doesn't mean you're someone who causes pain. Mm -hmm. There's still someone who's responsible. Now, I think in the context of like, we've betrayed, we've maybe cheated on someone. We just have to look at the behaviors and why we might've done those things so that we don't recreate them. Because of course, betrayal has a huge impact. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was a lot. A lot to chew on. Crush and... question four. What do we think? Okay. All right. And just right. like also just a note, just tenderness with yourselves is your, you know, I like I know, you know, we go fast and boom, here it is. And here are some things to think about. And on the other side of the screen are all of you who are taking this in and receiving this. And sometimes it's a lot. So just like gentle, you know, like take a moment, gentle. Like if some of this really resonates and lands for you and you're like, yep, that's me. Like just notice any of the narratives that might be coming up for you. Don't be harsh with yourselves, right? Just be gentle in that space because you're understanding new parts. So yeah, not easy work. Okay. Question number four. I just can't do it with as much drama as you, Mark. You have to read it as if you're reading a letter to a a radio station. How do you identify if someone is lying about being available for a relationship? I was always upfront that I was looking for a relationship and the person I am seeing said he was open to a serious relationship too. But it's now been more than six months since we met and it's become clear that he isn't sure about commitment. In all our conversations, he keeps saying to give it time to see what happens because he is enjoying getting to know me naturally without the pressure of a label. Part of me thinks that he is not looking for a commitment at all and stringing me along for the casual hookups. He has said that he is genuine and really does care about me. How can I tell whether this is going anywhere? I only had like the first two sentences was the drama. And then I got yeah, that and then on you're like, it. ah, this is a lot. <laughs> I'll just read it. Oh my gosh. The chat is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> this is me, me too. He has anxious. Everybody's attachment. like, he's this a fuck boy. <laughs> right. Which, all right. I look, I think it depends because there's so much complexity to human experience yes. that we don't know all the words they've exchanged. We're getting a summary of one person's story and, and not negating their experience of this. So, how do you define if someone's lying about availability? You know, the part here that really, and I'm reading it, that's why I'm looking away. Mm-hmm. I've always up front about what I was that I'm looking for a relationship. And he says he's open to it too, but it's now been more than six months and it's become clear that he's not sure. So that is the information that we've gathered. I would, of course, look back and be like, were there inconsistencies earlier on that I dismissed or that I allowed because I had hope about this relationship, but they were showing unavailability. They were showing little, they're like tiny red flags. I don't know what they'd be called, but they're like 
maybe yellow like flags. a red, yeah, yellow, yellow flags. They're like, pay attention. And they're really like, when they're saying, part of me thinks he's not looking, like he keeps saying, give it time to see what happens. See that, that line there, give it time to see what happens. I think that can be a normal first beginning of dating thing, right? When someone's sure. like, I wanted to find this and they're like, yo, like, let's just hold the phone here. Like, give me a second. I guess no one calls each other anymore, but like, let's just hold up. <laughs> and I, in that experience of being like, I think what's important is we're getting clear on what is our intention. So if you're not clear on what your relationship intention is, I want to create a serious relationship. I'd like it to lead to marriage or whatever, partnership or family or whatever it is. Do you want the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. But but let's just give it a moment. That to me would be right away a yellow flag. Because if someone is clear about what they want and they're interested in engaging with you, they go, yeah, I want something similar. This is what I want. And it sounds the same. And I go, are we moving towards the same thing? But the fact that he's doing this at six months, like, yeah, but like, let's still see how it goes. At six months, you're like, you're not like testing to see if you want to be committed. Like you've made the commitment or you haven't. You we, we ought to have some clarity at that point. Right. right? Six months. And, I, and if we don't. If I you're think, anxious at that point, that would make sense. I mean, I think it communicates if we don't actually know, right? And this person isn't actually trying to play games necessarily, but then, then it speaks to them not knowing themselves very well. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I I do think, I mean, who knows how many times you've seen each other in six months. Right. I guess I'm going off the assumption that, you know, you're dating regularly. Um, Right. So I guess it's possible that you've (laughs) seen each other three times in six months. That's a pretty big red flag. Yeah. This past, well, this past year. No, no, but let's not get, let's not get caught up in in that space because I don't even want to make excuses for it. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times it is about them not actually knowing themselves and what it is that they want. And can we all agree that when we're like, hey, I want a relationship or I'd like to have partnership, like we all know that we're not saying I want it with you for sure on the first date. Like, can we all agree that we like know that that's not what the other person is saying? I hate when people are like, I don't, you know, I, oh, I'm not sure that I'm ready to marry you. You know, it's like, yeah, I right. know, I'm not sure yeah. I'm ready to marry yeah. you either. Um, <laughs> I, we don't need to say that each time. Right? So yeah, let's, let's all agree on that. But yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that I think stood out to me with this one is, you know, if he's, if, is it a he? I think yeah, it's it the, was. The dude is the one they're dating. Okay. Yeah. If, if he's moving at a pace that works for him, you have to move yourself back into your lane and say, is this pace moving in a way that works for me? We mm-hmm. always forget to tune in to ourselves, right? We're like trying to shapeshift and mold and fit into the box that this other person is operating in, right? Because we want to be chosen or we want to be good enough or we want to be worthy or whatever it is, right? And, and tune back in, like, is this pace working for me? Without having to label who this person is or what they're, you know, where they're coming from or, or, you know, whether they're a fuckboy or not or whatever it is, right? It's like tune in for you. Is the pace working for you? Let that start to guide you. Let that be your star. Let it be something that gives you a compass for your life. Right. Too often we we stand in the sideline of what the other person is doing. Well, maybe if I give it another two months, then they'll actually know that that they're ready. Well, 
how are you feeling? Is this honoring you right now? Not is it going to honor you in a year, right? Is it honoring you right now? Can you tune into that? How's the pace working for you? If it's causing you anxiety, is that how you want to exist? Right. Yes or no? That's such a right? Like question. just be in that. Sorry. Well, that switching of choosing rather than waiting. Yeah. And then you insert like whatever age someone is and all the different things they have and the narratives about that. And we don't realize that in the act of acting based on time, we waste time. Yeah. And in this space too, if you are opposed to being the bad guy, oh, this this shit's hard. (laughs) Like if if you can't be the one who ends it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's sometimes the real learning though, you know, is like, like, wait, I get to choose. I have the power. I'm not waiting for someone to choose me to figure out if this pace works for them and da, 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 da. Like, I think that's that delicate line as a human over there, right? But that's that delicate line of being able to recognize like, when do our like standards or our expectations or whatever become walls? And when are they actually legitimate and real? And like, if you have never had needs or wants or honored them, to start to do it is like this complete act of bravery and rebellion and reconciliation and reclamation and all the big words that mean take your fucking power back. Right. And that's sometimes, you know, like I think mm-hmm. you said earlier, like sometimes that's the loving thing is the leaving. Like sometimes that's yeah. the choice. And, and then you leave and you're like, I fucking knew it. Like your intuitions, like I told you. I knew it. And that's why those little spaces between what someone says and what they're doing, it's not only believe what someone's actions over words. It's whenever there's a difference, it's a fucking red flag to be curious. When actions and words don't match, be curious. Yeah. God. Okay. Ready? Question five. Okay. This is, we've got 10 minutes. Okay. You ready? You ready? I'm going to read it with same level of Give me drama. the drama. Give me the drama. I told someone I was seeing that I believed in marriage and he pulled away. <laughs> He's crazy. the child of divorced parents and is wary about the hurt that could come from divorce. I'm open to working on this and discussing it with him, but I don't know how to hold space when he is withdrawn. Would I be over chasing if I continue to try to have this conversation? So you already touched on this, but let's, let's, let's not touch it. Let's dive right in. Let's grope this one. Yeah. I mean, so context matters here, of course, right? Like if we're in a, you know, how far into the relationship are we, you know, is this, see, right. So, you know, speaking though, to, I guess, you know, those, those on the call or those who will watch this recording, right? Like maybe you're in this space with someone you have been seeing for a really long time. And this is, this is showing up and present now. Right. So, you know, I think, gosh, the over chasing part, we need to have the other person show up slightly, mm-hmm. even if there's something that's really challenging and confronting for them. We have to give space for people to have things that are confronting and challenging for them, right? There's like, maybe they're feeling a flood of emotion for the first time. Maybe they've met someone where they're like, holy crap, I could marry you. And my entire life, I've held a belief that I would never do it because of the pain and the trauma that I experienced or what I witnessed and saw growing up. Right. And so, you know, I don't want to just dismiss this person 
right? I want us to take an open-hearted approach here while also tuning into ourselves, right? And so, you know, we want to tune in and see like, yeah, maybe this is a really new experience for this person. And the only thing that they know how to do is to shut down in this moment. Now, what happens is I bring this forward. Hey, I want to talk to you about this. I know that this is scary for you. I know you're afraid what you associate divorce to be, right? We want to tune into that. What happens there? What does divorce mean? What goes on there? What's the story there? Let mm-hmm. me learn about it. Let me hear about it, right? And it's not that we can never we can promise that that will never happen. We don't know that, right? But we can move to a space where, you know, if somebody is blocking themselves from something that is calling them in, hopefully they want to open themselves up to having that conversation with you. So even if it's a struggle, but they're slightly open, I think that's an okay space to be. But if you keep, Hey, what's going on? I want to talk to you. And you're met with that wall. There's no participation, right? Then I do believe it becomes an overchasing thing, right? If you get the sense that this person is saying like, I do, I want to work on this. This is just really hard for me. I I want to open up. This is just scary. Like even hearing some of those things, right? Can, can be the little peephole that we need, but you know, we're not here to solution things for other people. Again, of course, the context of how long we've been together, we've been dating or seeing each other thing does matter. But that's where I'd start. What do you want to say about it? Well, I love that leaving space because, you know, it's like you bring up this conversation, you invite the person to have it. Can they sit in just this conversation, which is like about, I believe in marriage. And he pulled away. Like, I believe in marriage. Bye. What? I mean, I believe in tacos. You stayed for that. Why well, can't, you know, like it's, yeah, it shows you the level of emotional weight that the word marriage has for that person. And yeah. I love that you humanized that side because automatically people will go bye. And it's like, yeah. wait, there's clearly yeah. a lot of something mm-hmm. going on with that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the times too, we don't, then as the person who's mentioning it, we are like, like, this is bullshit, red flag, ditch that person. And certainly that can be the experience, as you said, if they're not willing to just come forward and just have this conversation that says like, hey, I noticed when I brought up believing in marriage, it really activated you or it got you triggered. And I just like to explore like what's in that for you. What's been your experience, as you said, you know, Mm -hmm. these questions. And, you know, what's so fascinating about language is like, I hear people say all the time things like, I don't believe in marriage. And I'm like, just define it differently. Like what the way you're defining it, you don't believe in marriage that's defined in a specific way that doesn't work for you. So you're avoiding a thing, which if you're following the traditional sort of structures of it, I can understand. And that we might've witnessed self-abandonment, abuse, betrayal, all the things, no love, presence, whatever it is, that we can redefine the word and we can define it in whatever way we want. We're the ones like before people just read vows they were given, you know, like one of them is to honor and obey. Like not many women are reading honor and obey anymore. I mean, (laughs) if they are, they're probably still part of sort of traditional structure of marriage. And it's not too, Mm -hmm. no offense to anyone who might've said that. And like, do you really want to honor and obey your partner? So I can understand why people have aversion, but I think like that's the importance of words. When I say tree, you might think of a spruce and I think of a birch. Like that's why it's so important that we get specific about words. And, and also like, do we have a trigger if someone doesn't see the world the same way we do? Because then we're like, you don't want what I want when we're mm-hmm. actually not leaving space 
for the story that's behind what they've witnessed commitment as, what they've witnessed all these things as. And I mean, this is the delicate dance that is relationship, you know? Yeah, it is. It is, right? There's no one way to approach any of this. Context does matter. And so we don't want to be just quick to know what our answer is. You, We have to trust that all of you know your world and what's going on well. And hopefully some of the questions and prompts and things that we've brought up here will help lead you into that exploration further, you know? And yeah, I mean, I think that this question, I said, I believed in marriage and then he pulled away. I mean, that's, that's pretty extreme, right? It's not that's like, pretty avoidant. it's not like I'm pressing to get yeah, married yeah. and now, you know, yeah. it's like, I mentioned the word marriage <laughs> and now it's <laughs> gotta over. go. Gotta go. So yeah, I mean, I think obviously if that's how it's playing out, then there is there is a flag there. But I think we're having to decide whether or not we're we're tuning into some of these flags because there is actually an opportunity to have conversation, right? Or are we tuning into flags where there's no possibility for expansion or healing? Right. right. And that's and for us to be- stand there. Yeah. I mean, that's for us. We have to be able to discern those things. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that comes through practice, unfortunately. It does. It it comes from saying yes to red flags and then realizing you should say no. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. Vienna, thank you so much for your time, for being here, for sharing. We really appreciate you. And where can they find you, Mark? (laughs) First, they got to find you. Mindful MFT. Yeah. Tell them all the places. Yeah, mindful MFT as in marriage family therapy, New com. I'm not seeing new clients though, unfortunately, but I do have therapists in my practice who who are. So if you're looking for, you know, a similar-ish approach, you can holler there. And then, you know, on mind with with good old Mark Groves too. Although I've been off for for a bit for maternity leave, but yeah, I'll be back there generally Tuesdays, Thursdays at 12:30 p.m. Eastern. But yeah, you can find most of the links for everything that I'm doing on Instagram at MindfulMFT. So hope to see you all there. Perfect. And for me, Mark, create the love on Instagram, Mark Rove's podcast. And also if this really resonated with you, I have a dating course called Dating 101 that Mm -hmm. really walks you through everything that we're talking about like working through the nervous system throughout the four weeks. It's four weeks long and we'll send out a link with all the things for that and appreciate you. Everyone have a beautiful night. Much love everyone. See you soon. Bye.